0: Let's hear it for our guitar choir this morning. <laughs> I love it. This is the fourth time I've heard them. And we've had different people at, it, at each service, anyone from the service who wanted to come up and play. So we'll probably do this again. It went really well. We had a, we had a ukulele, a mandolin, a banjo, acoustic, electric, you name it. We had it up here. But you know what? That, that's kind of a picture of what God is doing with all of us when we gather together. He's bringing different instruments to bring him praise. And even your voices are an instrument to the Lord. So thank you for participating with us, with your church family here at Fellowship today. You know, I think about uh, our Heavenly Father every time I think about Father's Day. Because we have a Heavenly Father who loves us dearly. And we're reminded of our heavenly father in the scripture who loves his family deeply and he calls us to gather in his name. And I want to talk to you about what happens to us when we gather together, because that's really the heart of the scriptures as we go to God's word in first Corinthians chapter 11 today. What happens when a family gets together? I come from a Middle Eastern family, and so we are loud, and there's laughter, and there's yelling, and there's the, the noise is just elevated. It's like my big fat Greek wedding on steroids when we get together, <laughs> and I married uh, uh, my wife from from Nebraska, and she was a good old Nebraska Methodist, and they're just quiet. And they just kinda watched. I remember at our wedding reception in Milwaukee as the men grabbed me and they put me on their shoulders and they kinda moved me along and they're they're going, And hey, hey and all the Nebraska people were like, What in the world did we marry into? My dad worked 70 hours a week. He was a entrepreneur, a small business owner. And, uh, we loved Sundays because that was the, that was the day we could be together. That was the day we had dad's full attention. And we, we get together and we do family adventures. We'd go hunting together. We'd take drives together. They were just awesome times. And I live for those moments because when your family's healthy, when you get together, those are awesome times, aren't they? When your family's dysfunctional, well, not so much, right? Yeah, those are the times where you go, boy, the stress and the anxiety dealing with your family. Whenever those get-togethers come along, you're going, are we going to really go when they're dysfunctional? The church in Corinth was one of those dysfunctional families. Whenever they got together, boy, the worst of them came out. And instead of gathering together and bringing glory to God, they really just became snobbish and arrogant to each other. And Paul hears about this, and he writes 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to them. And he calls them really to to remember, remember what Christ has done for them. You know, the people of God are rooted in significant historical events. Life was not disconnected. It wasn't something where you just carve out one hour a week for God and call it church. Life in the, new, in the new and old testament were all it, it revolved around significant re- events, and life was connected with people and places and practices to remember the character of God, the power of God, and the work of God. And we lose this when we neglect getting together, like we're doing today. The family of God in the Old Testament celebrated something called Passover every year. And Passover was a representation of the deliverance of God in their lives. They remembered the deliverance of God from the hand of the Egyptians and into freedom and into the promised land that God was going to call them. They not only were delivered, but they were directed in God's way for his people. In the New Testament, the most significant event in human history was the cross. The cross where Jesus was our deliverer. He replaced that Passover in that God's wrath is no longer over us. It's passed over because Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, was given for the forgiveness of our sins. And what Paul wants to do in this passage is he wants to reconnect a broken, dysfunctional family to the reality of the life and the death of Jesus so that they never forget it. And so that whenever they came together, they forgot about themselves so they could focus on Jesus. So let's read what he says here. This is kind of the crux of the passage in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, Paul wanted to have them never forget. He wanted them to always remember when they took communion, when they took the bread and drank of the cup. They wanted them to remember three key things that communion to this day continues to remind us. Number one, the love of God. You see, it was the love of God that came into our lives through the person and the work of Jesus. Folks, we have a loving heavenly father. All of our fathers, including myself, we're all imperfect. But God's love is perfect. And it was God's love that motivated him to see our sin, to see our brokenness, to see our independence. And instead of wrath, he gave us love. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love of God. And the love of God is demonstrated through the person in the work of Jesus when he loved us and gave himself up for us. Every time we take communion, I thank God that he loves me. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It's just because you're his child. He loves you. It's who he is. It's his character. It's his, the depth of his love that reaches to us. Secondly, we focus and we remember the work of Christ. It's easy to compare ourselves with others, but when we take communion, we realize that we're not compared with anyone except Jesus. And for that reason, all of us fall short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus. What kind of week did you have? You know, a lot of people go to church based on the week they had previously. If you had a bad week, I stay out. If I had a good week, I can go to church and just add to the goodness that I've done. But the reality is, is that... You you don't come here because you deserve to be here. I don't come to Jesus because he deserves... He doesn't. Actually, I deserve his wrath. But I get his grace. I run into him because I need him. Because he's the one who's done the work for me. When we take communion, we don't celebrate our work. We don't celebrate our righteousness, our goodness. We celebrate the work of Jesus. And when you come to faith, that's perhaps one of the first things you do once you realize who Jesus is, is you realize... I can't save myself. Only you can save me. And you trust in his work for your life. But something else happens when we celebrate communion that we need to remember. And that's the fellowship of the spirit. See, we have the triune God, the father, the son, and the spirit that we're to remember in communion. And we, re- we recognize that when the spirit joins us together, folks, he takes pleasure when we're, when we're loving God and when we're loving each other, when we're celebrating the works of Jesus, boy, the, the fellowship, the Greek word for it is koinonia. It's this, this loving fellowship from God. It, it pleases God, church, when we get together and we celebrate what Christ has done for us. What grieves the Spirit of God? When we fight When we're in divisions, when we have disagreements, when we we have factions in a church that grieves the Holy Spirit, when we gossip, when we are critical of each other, that grieves the Spirit of God. But when we join together and we're a healthy family celebrating the love of God, the work of Christ, and the fellowship of the Spirit, the God, the Father, takes great delight. Church, your Heavenly Father is smiling today because we're together. And we're celebrating the work of Jesus Christ. Well, what I want to spend in the rest of my time talking about is why we should share communion together. I think there's a thought today that it's just uh, me and God. We, we like the individual faith. And it's just my relationship with God. And I don't care about anyone else. But what God is really calling us to do is to do this as a family. God celebrates his family. And and no matter what your biological background with parents or fathers, communion really draws us to our heavenly father, to celebrate him and to be united to him. Paul kind of gives this picture because instead of uniting, the church was really divided in Corinth. They were, as I mentioned earlier, very dysfunctional. They weren't joyful and, and their, their gatherings became divided and clouded in their purposes and forgotten with the an intention of what communion was all about, even profaned to the real reason that they were called to it. Look at how Paul describes it. This is kind of his harshest correction in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 17. He says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Or do do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. The the church in Corinth, as I mentioned earlier, was divided on so many levels. And Paul is saying, look, you're going to have some divisions because you're going to have some differences in every church. But you know what? Just as it was back then, every church, even a healthy church, has people who believe Jesus in it and are following Jesus. People who claim that they're Christians, but they don't live like it. And people who haven't yet found Jesus, but are looking for him in the church. You know, every church, as I look, even the ones that are that are encouraged in the New Testament scriptures, they all had those three types of people in it. There's people who think, boy, the churches should be just for believers. But that's not biblical. Even healthy churches had people who believed and followed, people who believed, who said they believed, but yet did not, and people who had not yet believed. It's like a family. There's a vast maturity of, of uh, levels of maturity in a family. Yet, when we get together, we're all called to the same thing. They were different in Corinth. Those who had a bunch of resources just abused it in the face of those who had very little. The rich and the poor. They were fractured in cultures from Jewish believers to Gentile believers. And as I mentioned earlier, it was more reflected in a self-righteous, snobbish attitude to one another. But Paul says, you should join together in communion. You should join to, to unify. Unify those that sin divides. And that's a big reason we get together and celebrate today to unify those that sin divides. Sin will always divide you from God and it will divide you from other believers. When you get together, Paul says it should be about love. It shouldn't be about people eating all the food and leaving others having nothing. It shouldn't be about drunkenness in front of each other. I know we want to celebrate the work of Jesus, but don't flaunt your differences to one another. Folks, the reality is that whenever God joins us together, there's going to be different people in the room. Look around you right now. Do it. You can look around besides looking straight. You will see different people around you. There's people who look kind of like you and there's people who don't look anything like you. But I've learned that every time God kind of gathers us together, it's kind of a glorious collection of people in Topeka. And I love that. I absolutely love that. I know on my own, and I know Jesus has really gotten a hold of my heart as a pastor. On my own, I would probably just want the people who look like me, believe like me, act like me, have the same interests, talk like me, all that. And I'd have two people who would be my best friends. And we'd probably find something to disagree. That's what marriage is all about. Two people disagree and a whole bunch of... Just kidding. But that can be even, even the person you think is God's person for you. You have differences with. But yet when we gather together as a family, we unite around the person and the work of Jesus. Think about that. In this very room, we have people who are young. And we have people who are very mature. Right? <laughs> I didn't say old, okay? We have people who are wealthy. We have people who are struggling with the next penny of what they're going to do. We have professors and we have plumbers. We have doctors and lawyers in the same room together. That's amazing. They can get along when it's about Jesus. We have teachers, we have students. We have Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. I know because I get all your emails telling me that Jesus is a Democrat or Jesus is a Republican. We know he's not a communist, right? Okay? Beyond that, we're not the center of the universe. And so we put those things behind us or to the side of us to unite around the person and the work of Jesus. We can easily be divided on a variety of theological or practical points of living. Yet when we gather and we take communion, we're all unified by Jesus. You see, the reality is, as I've learned and as as I've grown in leading in a church, is the differences show us the love of God. You cannot limit the love of God by just accepting people who look like you or from the same background even believe like you see the love of god reaches out to this world for god so loved this world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life john 3 16 one of the most well-known passages in scripture it's called to unify us around the person of christ folks only jesus can unify our world Only Jesus, when your church is attacked in South Carolina this past week, can people have the heart to say, we forgive you. Someone who's unrepentant. They were able, they were saying, we forgive you. Only Jesus can do that. And we need Jesus when we gather together. We need to unite around the person and the work of Jesus So Paul continues and he clarifies what communion is. And I'm going to reread that passage we read earlier. But would you follow along with me? He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, what Paul is doing is he's clarifying the person in the work of Jesus. He's clarifying that through communion. And that when we get together and we share this together, we have great clarity of what sin clouds in us apart from this place. Sin had clouded in Corinth, the who, the what, and the why they got together. And whenever a church gets clouded on what they're there to do, and whenever a church loses or, or gets distracted from a compelling vision of what the scriptures call us to be about, which is Jesus, look out, look out. People flock away. Folks, here's the deal. If it's just about being a good person, just being a, you know, a, a, a happy, entertaining church to be a part of. I, I don't want to wake up on a Sunday morning and come to it. I really don't. I've got better things to do. We now have, we, we have better things to do on a Sunday morning if it's just about us and our comfort. What the scriptures call us to is Jesus. Be clear about him. Be clear about his body. That was the body that took on flesh. God in the flesh who lived a perfect life for you. One you could not live. Jesus lived the life. You couldn't. And it was that body that he (laughs) surrendered. He gave up for the forgiveness of our sins. It was that blood that was spilled on a cross for our forgiveness of sin. Paul was very clear It's about the life and the death of Jesus, the one who lived for us, the one who died for us, the one who rose again for us. And that's why he says over and over, this is for you. Very clear. He talks about the blood or the cup being a covenant, a new covenant, because time and time again, we have broken the Old Testament covenant, a covenant based on works which Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one says there's a new covenant forged for the forgiveness of sin with the law of God now written on our hearts, a covenant of grace, no longer of works. The work of Christ replaced the works of the law and it centers on the death of Christ. When we join together, let's be clear about who Jesus is. He's the son of God, the savior of our lives. But look at what he says there. He adds one more thing. Look at verse 26. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What Paul is saying is keep this a priority, church. And when when we share communion together, we're lifting up the priority, the priority of what sin ignores in our lives. You see, sin tends to do the end around in religious people. Sin kind of creeps in and goes, hey, you're not so bad, are you? Sin kind of looks around when you gather together in an environment like this and go, man, I can't believe what they're wearing. Oh, Christians shouldn't do that. Sin makes us self-righteous. Sin makes us arrogant. Sin makes us place ourselves over others and sometimes even views that God deserves us. And when we celebrate this, we lift up the death of Jesus. See, if you could work your way to God, he would never have to come and live a life for you and die on a cross for you. And as often as we do this, we declare and we proclaim his death until he returns. The church in Corinth was celebrating themselves. They were eating, they were drunk, and they relegated communion to nothing more than a party. And they ignored the priority. Paul says, no, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And when we take this, we proclaim and we profess and and we confess and commit to the person and the work of Jesus in us, through us, until he comes. And we take the cup and we raise the cup and we say, until the king comes, we will participate in his work. We will allow his work to be applied to our lives. That's what drinking of a cup. That's that it was a figurative term that that showed that we participate in the work of God. Now, here's the, the reality. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. What's that cup? It was the wrath of God that would be placed on his life. It's the wrath of God that should be to us. But Jesus drank it. He gave up his life and he died for our sins on that cross. And his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. It's that new covenant. A covenant of grace no longer of works that we celebrate. And we take that as a priority. To unify, to clarify, to prioritize. And then look at how he talks about how pure... Uh, to purify and and here's the deal i'm not talking that when you take for take uh communion that you are your sins are forgiven of you that this is an act that forgives your sin no this is a representation of the work of christ for us it's a memorial of what he's done but each of us should align our lives should see the pure meaning of jesus and and dedicate our lives to a life that follows him that's why Paul says, examine yourself. Watch that word. I'm going to read here beginning in verse 26. He says again, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we are judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Why should we share communion together? To purify what sin profanes. They were profaning The Lord's Supper. They were making it about them. They weren't making it about Jesus. And Paul says, hey, everyone, before you take this, examine yourself. That's why every time we serve this, we say, hey, do you know Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you examined your life? Are you with him? Are you with him? Have you found him? Are you trusting him? Are you following him? Because if you're not, this is a meaningless ritual. And, and by the way, if you haven't yet believed in Christ, God's wrath is still on you. You need to have that delivered. You need to have him pass over you and deliver you because he's the sacrifice for your sins. I've had people say to me, Joe, I, um, I had a bad week. I don't think I'm going to take communion this week. I go, take it. Take it. Do you need forgiveness? Yes, I need Do you need to realize that it's the work of Jesus in your life and not your own? That it's not you having a bad week and trying to have a good week so that you can make up for that. No, you need Jesus. We all need this. None of us deserve this. The ground is level here, folks. None of us are here because we, you know, lived up to a certain level of performance. All of us fall short of the glory of God. You had a bad week? Take this. Maybe it might show you... Grace, maybe it might reconnect you to the forgiveness that is in Christ. I will tell you, I've talked to people who have come to this and they've said, man, I'm fighting with my wife and I need to have a conversation with her before I take communion. So I'm just going to not take it and I'm going to kind of nudge her when I'm not taking it because I'm still mad at you and you can do that. But but what I would say is forgiveness works best if you forgive that person before you have that conversation. Some of us think, I've got to vent. I've got to let that person have it, and then I'll give them forgiveness. No, that's called revenge. And that's a burden on you, and that's that profanes communion if you're unforgiving when you take it. So purify your life with a forgiveness that's only given through Jesus and forgive others when you come to this. You don't have to have a long, drawn-out meeting. It starts in your mind. It starts with an attitude. I forgive them before I even have that conversation, and take this. That's what we call you. Examine yourself. Run to the purity that's in Christ. Celebrate this together. You see, communion disciplines us to be humble. It, 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 it disciplines us to be dependent on grace over our works, to receive the forgiveness of God and to live in the love and the power of God. So church, slow down, give this significance, keep it pure. What happens when we get together? Folks, every time we get together, may we be a church that unites around Jesus. May we be a church that is clear on his person and his work for each of our lives. May we be people who put the highest priority of this church will be about Jesus. It won't be about us. And may we purify. May we set our lives to the purposes of Christ and his will for us. Take this in remembrance of a God who loves you. Who's provided the work of Jesus for us. And who wants to gather us with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. And on this day, we lift up the name of Jesus. We call all of those who believe in him and trust in him. To celebrate his work and his priority and purposes in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.